0: Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 to 9, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. Um, If you're a visitor here, you are very welcome. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the service so far. I see some new faces, that's great. Over the last few weeks, just to kind of keep you in the picture, um, we've been uh, moving through a new sermon series um, called Life to the Full. That sounds enticing, doesn't it? Um, Jesus declared emphatically... That he was the way, the truth, and the life. That's what we share on Alpha week one. He said that I am the resurrection and the life. His promise to us, Jubilee, is that he has come so that we might have life in all abundance, life to the full. And you know what? These are big claims, aren't they? And the point of this sermon series, if you like, is asking the big, big question. How does that life, Jesus' life, play out in the day-to-day experiences that make up this big whole thing called life, life to the full. And so that's what we've been doing over the last few weeks, looking at different areas. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at how Jesus wants to shape, wants to be central in the whole area of parenting. Scary. Um, So obviously... For those of you who know me, I'm going to need lots of help this morning. Um, and so, therefore, I'm going to be tag-teaming, hence this microphone, um, uh, with my wife, Charlotte, as well as our good friend, Angela, uh, both of us at very different stages uh, in terms of parenting. And our aim, really, this morning, hear this, our aim, really, this morning is to encourage you as parents, as well as the whole church, Uh, So the nurturing of our little ones into giant ones, biblically, is a whole church activity, isn't it? So this morning, we want to encourage you this morning that perseverance, that faith in Jesus, that having a biblical vision for parenting pays off in the life of your kids, my kids, our kids. That's why we're going this morning, okay? Um, So now, I know there'll be lots of scenarios of parenting in this room. Um, parents of little ones, parents of medium ones, parents of extremely tall ones, uh, single moms, single dads, stepchildren, adopted children, different cultures and ethnic backgrounds uh, in this church. Some kids going on with God, some might not be going on with God. Some of you might be married to believers, some of you might not be married to uh, unbelieving spouses. A whole range of upbringings too. There will be some people here who don't have children. And that can be really difficult uh, and painful to live with. We want you. We 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 know that. We know that. I love the fact that this church is really a church for everyone. And whatever situation you are, you're in, as a church, we stand with you. So let's kick off. I'm going to hand over to Charlotte uh, for the first bit.
1: Well, good morning. So, I'm Charlotte, married to Raj, and we have three children. They are 10, 9, and four. And I'm really aware that this whole area of parenting can be a bit of a no-go zone. Um, we can be really defensive about our children and how we are as parents, and not always open to input from other people. I kind of feel that grandparents, particularly, you might know what I'm talking about here. You notice that dear little grandchild is running rings around mummy and daddy, but you dare not say anything. So please bear with us. Uh, We really don't claim to have this all wrapped up. We haven't got all the answers. Um, And our children, indeed, are definitely a work in progress. We've still got lots more years to go, and I'm sure we'll make lots more mistakes along the way. So we're not planning on telling you how to do things. Um, I don't believe that there is a formula for that anyway. Um, If only it was that simple, it would make our lives much easier. So instead, we're just hoping to share some principles that we hope you're going to find helpful. Now, again, I know that some people are not kind of keen on reading up about the latest technique for getting your children to sleep, or getting them to eat, or getting them to toilet train, or to do what they're told, Um, and so the list goes on. Some people just prefer to take a bit more of an intuitive approach and kind of work it out as they go along. However, we feel that it is worth having a goal in mind to aim for. So... We were thinking about this and uh, thinking about journeys. And generally, when you go on a journey, you have a destination in mind. And you plan how you're going to get there. Rather than just kind of setting off and seeing where the road takes you, you aim to set off in a particular direction. And certainly, Raj and I have tried to do that when we're taking our kids on the journey through life um, together. So what is the destination? Our destination is to raise children who come to know and love Jesus and whose lives bring glory to God. And we feel that if we can achieve that, then we're trusting that everything else will fit into place. So let's read Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. These are the Bible verses that have really inspired us for this morning. Okay. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God's really spoken to us through this passage about three particular things. And they are God being the focus of the family, teaching our children diligently, and cultivating and growing obedient heart.
0: So love the Lord your God. God is our focus, Sam. Um, first and foremost, as parents, also as the whole church family, I'm going to keep reiterating this until you get bored of me. We want our kids to know and experience the love and wonder of our, of our amazing God for themselves, don't we? As a church, we want to see our young people flourish in God, not ram it down their throats, not drag them unwillingly into doing all the things that we think they should be doing in order to be religious, Um, not trying to make us look better as parents in front of the masses. I suffer from that. No, we want them to meet Jesus personally, powerfully, preciously. Yeah, And, and thinking about it, I think there are three areas that, um, we particularly want to see this focus towards God grow in our kids. When I was thinking about this and praying about this, and firstly, security in God. We want them to experience security in God. I'm not talking about safety. I'm talking about a security a confidence. We want them to know that they have a Father in Heaven who, um, who is totally reliable and perfect, much better than this earthly father. That they're a child of God in their own right. Uh, When the world is pulling them in all sorts of directions uh, through what they watch, through what they listen to, what their friends say, what school teaches them, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat I don't know what the latest thing is now we want them to experience a far more, a far deeper, more robust security that can only, only uh, come from knowing and cherishing. A never-changing, reliable God. security. Secondly, the love of God. As we declare to them the cross, we want them to see it more than just a historical event or a nice little story in their book or a concept even, but really for what it is. The greatest declaration of love in action ever to all of humanity. A love that changes them. A love that brings joy and hope, even in desperate times. A love that speaks into their heart life, eternal life, security, love. And thirdly, power. Power, courage, power. We want want courage to rest on them. That isn't dependent on how they feel or what others think, but That comes from God, His Spirit living in them. We want them to know that. Acts 2.38 says this, And Peter said to them, it's funny how you notice things in passages that you've read again and again and again, but the last bit of this really spoke to me. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We remember that bit, don't we? For the promises for you and for your children. Everyone whom God calls to himself. As parents, as the whole church, we have an amazing opportunity to take them on a journey that is far greater and thrilling and exciting than anything else. We want to raise them um, 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 with an expectation and a boldness of faith to join us together in the mission of God, praying for the sick, being generous, sharing story with their friends, role modeling love to the marginalized in their school or what setting they're in, um, having courage to speak truth against extreme peer pressure, risking the loss of superficial friendship maybe and popularity as they speak and act out for Jesus. These are the conversations that we have in our home that we pray about. And the greatest challenge, the greatest challenge to all of this is what goes on with us. Where does God and the church sit in our lives? What are we displaying to them?
1: So, how do we make God the focus of our family? To start with, our children are not our highest value. God is hear this quote from John Piper. Woe to us if we ever become so fixated on the welfare of our children that we lose our passion for rescuing lost neighbours and reaching lost nations. So God comes first. What does this look like? Well, we can only speak from our experience, but life in church didn't stop when children came along. As a family, we really feel that we're on a mission together. And when we had our first baby, we did jump straight back in. And it was wonderful to be able to bring our children to church, to prayer meetings, to community group meetings, leaders meetings, Alpha, and so the list goes on. We have a church where children are welcome. And that is fantastic. They know that they belong and they know that this is their church. Having God as the focus also means living, being living examples of followers of Jesus. And this is in many areas, but particularly we're thinking about in our integrity, in faithfulness, truthfulness, self-control, to name just a few. Children are really, really observant, and they notice what's going on. They ask questions, and they're inspired by those that they look up to particularly the youth and the students, so no pressure on you young guys. We're so grateful to people like Chris, there he is hiding over there, and Amy, she's not here this morning, but Amy Smith has been a fantastic influence in our family. Gavin and Hayley, and now Sam, um, and there'll be many more of you, um, all of whom have had input into our children. Even when things have gone wrong and there have been difficulties, The discussions that have resulted have been an opportunity to explain why doing things God's way is the best way and also being able to reinforce God's mercy and grace. Putting God at the center has also meant for us opening up our house to others, both to serve and to be blessed. Our children have been really fortunate to have their eyes open to the bigger picture by hearing about life in different cultures, about hearing about Christianity in other countries like Iran and Eritrea and Ghana, hearing stories of salvation and healing and God's provision and persecution. And they're learning that although we may be very different as individuals, It's amazing how a game of football or eating together or indeed Jesus himself can bring people together. Having God as the focus in our family has meant having times of worship together as a family, which initially felt a bit strange, but it's something that we got used to over time. Um, Learning from the Bible and praying together. Sometimes we wondered if we'd taken things too far when we catch the kids baptizing each other in the bath, um, asking a probing question like, Granny, do you love Jesus, which can leave people a little bit lost for words sometimes, or the time when I said to Jesh, let's take Jemima for a wash, to which he replied, shall we wash her in the blood? He knew the song, we've actually been singing it this morning. So having God as the focus in the family really affects everything that we do.
0: I'm glad Charlotte's funny because I'm not. Um, Secondly, you shall teach them diligently. um, Verse 7, this is a challenge. Diligently, Moses, the writer of Deuteronomy, recognizes here that instilling the gospel generation after generation requires diligence. Doesn't it, Stu and Shirley, as we prayed for you this morning? What does diligence mean? Well, the dictionary says diligence is careful and persistent work and effort. God wants us to have a spirit-fueled perseverance and focus. Proverbs 22 says, "Train up a child in the way he should go, Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I believe that. I believe that. Whatever happens to the children, the gospel does something in our children that no other story or news does. And and it's not just a little bit of the gospel either. It's the whole thing. Not just he died on the cross to save us from our sins and he rose again. That is amazing news. That totally is amazing news. I'm not, not knocking that at all. But the gospel is much bigger than that. Um, it changes lives, it affects our talking and dressing and watching and friendships and relationships and thinking and homework and and, and agree and disagreements and exercise and activity and everything. They are, that they are adopted as sons and daughters of God, that they're heirs to all of what's his, that his resurrection is the first fruits to our resurrection, to new life. We were talking about that this morning. New beginnings, uh, not this morning, the other morning. Not just a patch up, not just a patch up job, but a whole new kind of someone with purpose and mission and passion and adventure. That's the huge gospel that they need to hear. And experience regularly, communicated to them in a way that they get. And do you know what? As we engage our children in the gospel diligently, persistently, carefully, you know what? The gospel will grow bigger in us too. I'm, I'm amazed at how much our children have spoke, spoken the gospel into my life. It's a two way thing. Our children speak life into us.
1: Gosh, what a responsibility. Teach them diligently. It sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? For us, this has really meant persevering when it sometimes seems futile. There is a real difference between teaching and knowing. And we are trying to teach our children about Jesus so that they will come to know him. And again, this started when they were babies. And we would sing worship songs to them at night time, just a simple chorus that they then went on to learn themselves and would sing along beautifully with us. And what a joy that is. It means praying for them when they go to sleep, just something simple. I pray that Jesus will be watching over you, keeping you safe. And it means reading Bible stories together. To be honest, for us, this has been the biggest challenge. Um... Many times we have asked ourselves, is this really worth the effort? When we have our nice kind of calm story time met with rejection and it can deteriorate into screaming chaos and pillow fights and children running off when actually we want to be trying to settle them down to bed. Um, Our current routine, just to kind of share where we're at at the moment, is that Joey, who is four, he does Bible stories at bedtime, and we'll read it like a normal, secular, kind of pepper Pig-type book together, and then we do a Bible story. And a big shout for the amazing Jesus Storybook Bible. This has been so helpful to us as a family. For Jesh and Jemima, they've really kind of moved beyond wanting to, us all to read together at bedtime. So we do Bible stories over breakfast, followed by discussion and prayer. And sometimes it can be wonderful. It can be really profound and deeply moving. And other times it's amongst squabbles. I don't like the smell of your food, Sam. Just the other week, poor you. I don't want to sit next to you, Daddy. They're reading the verses in crazy voices. They're getting up. They're wandering off. They decide to practice their latest street dance. It can be really jolly hard going but we keep going. We talk on the way to school. We pray about what's coming up that day or about things that we're concerned about. We do try to keep them involved in what we do so they know what meetings Raj is going to, they know what I'm up to, they know what's going on in the life of the church. And we do expose them to life and reflect on difficult issues. And that might be just in day-to-day things. It might be things that have come up Through work, it might be things that are in church, um, but we do try and talk about these things and look at it from a biblical perspective. Sometimes or often we feel like nothing is really going in, and then suddenly we'll get a glimpse of encouragement. For example, in response to someone saying that they couldn't visit their family because they couldn't afford the travel document. Jesh disappeared off and went and got the money from his piggy bank um, and gave it to them. Um, and then Joey recently he said to me, Mummy, when I die, I'm gonna be with Jesus. And then the delight on his face when I said, When I die, I'm gonna be with Jesus too. And he said, oh, Mummy, you'll find me. These are the moments that keep us going. But we must remember, in the end, that there is a real chasm between teaching and knowing. And only God can carry our children across that chasm. So we keep praying.
0: This shall be on your heart. That's what it says in verse 6. Um, see how verse 4 to 6 reads. It says, Ia, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You see, the heart is a ginormous thing uh, in the Bible, often describing the center of who we are. The heart is the springboard, if you like, to all our doing and saying and thinking and behaving. When the when the prophet Samuel chooses to anoint the little shepherd boy, Mr. Nobody David, as God's future king, ludicrous in the eyes of many, he says, man looks, Samuel 16, 17, 16, 7, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Listen, the fruit of the gospel is a life of joyful obedience flowing from a changed heart. If I can make the focus of all my discipline and nurturing the heart of Jesh and Jemima and Josiah, rather than just their outward actions and behavior, then I'm convinced that God is more likely to bear fruit in their lives. Discipline, you see, is hard going. It really is. You know that as the kids get older, um, it it gets worse, I know. But it always consoles me to remember that even God has difficult children. Think about that. Proverbs 29:17 says, "Discipline your son, and he will give you rest, and he will deli- he'll bring delight to your heart." Even more extreme is Proverbs 19:18. When I read this, I thought, Oh, discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death." Parenting that lacks godly, grace-filled, loving um, discipline. Um, sorry, yeah, that lax, godly, loving, graceful discipline can bring death. Right, over to you Charlotte to talk about discipline. Fasten your (laughs) seatbelts.
1: A friend once said that the law is powerless to change a heart and oh my goodness, that really, really impacted me. And I think I've come to have a greater awareness that actually you can enforce discipline to bring about a particular behavior. But what we want is much bigger than this. We want hearts of obedience, one that overflows with the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. How lovely. That's what I want my children to be overflowing with. So how do we do this? Well, as John Piper says, we try to make home a beautiful and simple place, which becomes not only for the family, but also for the community, a refuge of Christ's peace and a launching pad for God's righteousness. We build together. We spend lots of time together. We have a lot of fun, helped out by Daddy, it has to be said. We encourage, we talk, we have friends around a lot. We try to have a family day and an evening every week, and we try to make home a place that the kids want to be. We give them responsibility and we reward them for particularly good effort, kindness, thoughtfulness, and generosity. We're clear about what is expected of them and why, and that there are consequences to their actions. When we're trying to correct them, we do try and give them options. So for instance, you know, if you carry on shouting, you can't go to the park, but if you stop, then we can watch that film, or we can do this thing that you want to. And then the crucial step, we do try and see it through. And this is the vital bit that we observe is missed out in so many cases, that it's easy to give the warning, but then seeing it through is really important because they need to learn that their actions will have consequences. When we and our children are confident in God and that we gladly obey God's commands for love and justice, then the beauty and worth and wisdom and love and justice of God shine out in the world. And that's what we're aiming for. You know, in those verses it talks about writing it on the gates of your on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. And you know, we really want our home and beyond to be a display of God's love for all to see.
0: Well done. Thanks, Charlotte. Um, It's been a great privilege uh, being in this church uh, where we have so many different people, different stages of life, and and really, you know, we don't don't get it right all the time and, and we make lots of mistakes. And what has been a real encouragement is watching the lives of a lot of you as you have parented and one of those couples is Jonathan and Angela Um, and so I've just asked Angela to share a few things that we don't have any knowledge of at all at the moment and that is the, um, the journey of teenagers
2: good morning So for those of you who don't know us, Jonathan and I have raised two sons who are now 26 and 23. Josh, the oldest, has been married for a year, and he's living and working in London, and William's the youngest, and he's at university in Leeds. And I can honestly say that most of the time they were a pleasure to raise during their teenage years. Although it's the time when children are maturing and separating from parents, learning how to become independent, it's also a time of being able to enjoy the process of them turning into young adults and all that that brings, being able to have more adult conversations and being able to do things together as grown-ups that you can't do when they're young. There are many challenges as well, and clearly we've only had the experience of bringing up boys. I believe that we've probably got off lightly and that teenage girls can be a whole different <laughs> ball game. However, I was um, a young teenage girl once and I had um, a little sister. So in our family, um, I can remember what the two of us were like and uh, some of the challenges that we posed to our parents. In Psalm 127, it says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. So even on the bad days, it's important to remember that parenting is an honour and a privilege, even when it's hard work and difficult. There's an African saying, it takes a village to raise a child, meaning that the upbringing of children is a communal effort. And I would substitute church for village. As Raj has alluded to, it's all of our responsibility to help with bringing up the children and teenagers, not just that of the actual parents. When we do our baby dedications, we generally all stand up as a church family and promise to do what we can to help in the upbringing of that child. And that's especially true for teenagers who really benefit from having role models in their church families and people who they can go to for help, advice, and support who are not their parents. And we've really appreciated men in the church who've taken time out to spend with our boys and been a really positive influence on them. So if you don't know any of our church teenagers, perhaps I could encourage you to get to know some and build relationship with them. Take an interest in what they're doing to encourage them. So, I've just got six quick points. Um, Obviously, there's loads more that could be said, but I hope you find these useful. So, the first one is unconditional love. So, teenagers need to know, like we all do, that they're loved unconditionally, no matter how they behave and what they get up to. As parents, we might not like or appreciate their behavior, and we need to express that to them, but without causing them to ever doubt that we love them, support them, and are for them no matter what. 1 Corinthians 13.7 says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Secondly, faith. Bringing up our children is probably one of the areas where our faith is tested the most, at least it was for me. 2 Corinthians 5 says we live by faith, not by sight. And there are all sorts of areas of our teenagers' lives that may not always look like we would like them to, from our point of view as their parents. Whether it's how they're doing at school, relationships they're involved in, how their walk with God is going, or anything else, need to stand in faith and believe that God will help them find his way and his plan for their lives. An example from our family would be our second son, William, and his education. He's dyslexic and struggled greatly at school. He sank down to the bottom set. He left school with only four GCSEs and without any maths or English. So things weren't looking too good in terms of him progressing much further with his education. However, we kept praying and encouraging him and helping him where we could. So he went on to college, and then he passed his maths and his English while doing a BTEC instead of A-levels, and that went well. So he got onto a foundation course at a university, and that went well. So he then went on to the degree course, and then he did well at that. So now he's studying for a master's, and nobody could be more surprised <laughs> than me. When I look back on the disappointment and the upset on the day he got his GCSE results, we would never have thought that would be possible. But God has been really faithful. Thirdly, communication. Obviously an important priority. And it's good to find times and situations when your teenagers will talk to you in a relaxed way. It's impossible to force them to talk if they don't feel like it. We always found going for a walk with the dog was a good time, or car journeys, when you can just chat freely. It has to be when they want to, which can be at inconvenient times. Before our boys grew up, a friend warned me that it's often at bedtime that they suddenly want to talk, and she was right. Many times I've stayed up discussing something with one of them when I'd wanted to have been asleep in bed. I also don't think the the, the concept of quality time is a good one. If you put aside half an hour or so of so-called quality time to have a conversation, it might not coincide with the time when they want to talk to you. And I think quality time comes out of quantity time. So if you give your children plenty of time, then some of that will be quality time, and good conversations can be had when they're ready. I once heard it said, busyness is the enemy of love, and I think that's right. In our busy lives, we can't afford for our teenagers to get crowded out. They need our time and our attention. We also need to be prepared to talk about everything and anything and not have any subjects that are avoided. Although they might not agree with our opinions, we still need to have open and frank discussions with our children without embarrassment. Teenagers are forming their opinions about all sorts of issues and talking about them and help them to sort out their ideas. Uh, fourthly, uh, love languages. Now, I don't know if you've come across this concept yet. Um, there's a really good book called um, The Love Languages of Teenagers, which Jonathan's going to hold up. It's a very good read. Um, so the concept of love languages basically, uh, we all receive love in different ways. And there are five of them. Physical affection, spending time together, Receiving gifts, acts of service, and affirming or positive words. So most people have a preferred way of having love expressed to them. It's like a language that they understand the best. If, for example, a child's love language is to have positive words spoken to them, and instead of taking opportunities to speak affirming words, the parent gives them gifts, which isn't their love language, then that child won't feel as loved as much as if they would if they'd had those those positive words spoken because the parent's not speaking their love language. So learning how your child best receives love is um, very good because then you can give it to them that way. Um, Fifthly, discipline. So Charlotte's done a really good bit about discipline, but I think um, that and the setting of boundaries is just as important with teenagers As with younger children and although the boundaries can be more difficult to enforce especially when your son is big enough to lift you up and carry you around the kitchen when you're trying to get them to help with the washing up it's still important that we give our children a godly framework within which to live their lives and lastly prayer Um, obviously hugely important to cover every area of our teenagers life with prayer Philippians 4 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Finally, um, I thought I'd share with you a picture that God gave me once when I was praying for our children, and it was of young but wild horses in America. You'll have seen it on films or the TV. And God was just saying, no matter how big, strong, or fast that horse gets, a cowboy, who's highly skilled with his lasso, could always throw a rope around that horse's neck and gradually bring it back under control and back to him. And God's the one with the lasso and he's faithful to his promises and he can always draw our children back to him. Finally, um, Ra shared that verse out of Proverbs, train a child in the way he should go and when he's old he won't depart from it. And I particularly liked how it puts it in the Message Bible. It says, point your kids in the right direction, and when they're old, they won't be lost.
0: The band can come up. That would be great. I remember saying to Charlotte, um, within about an hour of Jesh being born, we need to cherish this young man because soon he'll be gone. (laughs) Um... It all goes very quick, doesn't it? Um, And and Jubilee, I just want to thank you as a church for encouraging us and many others and inspiring and praying for all the kids and young people uh, in this church, for praying as parents so that we might parent well. Uh, I'm so grateful to our kids workers and youth workers and young people who've been and continue to be real joy and excitement to our kids. I'm so grateful for this church that it's so mixed uh, and beautiful and how that has shaped our kids in a way that many of the kids that we come across with just don't get. As Luca said, which someone already, yeah, uh, Sarush just mentioned it. This is how I'm going to end. As Luca said one year after returning from New Day, all excited. She was a kid then, herself. She said, church, we're not the next generation. We are the now generation. And as as church, we need to see that. Let's stand. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this family. I thank you, Lord, that we are the family of God, that we are the eternal family of God. I thank you, Lord, that our parenting roles in this life is temporary, as our marriages are. But I thank you, Lord, that this ongoing life of unity in the church, an eternal hope, the glory of God to come, we have a glimpse of now. And the church can express it in in her prayer life, in her actions, in her relationships, and everything else. And I pray you equip us and encourage us as the church. I pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit. I pray in this room where there are difficulties and hope that might have even kind of been... the flame might have been almost going out. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will bring your fire into the lives of people. And I also pray that you will turn around situations some people here might have lost hope in. Lord, we trust you. We live for you. We come to your word and we pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Amen.